In the spring of 1973, I was in El Paso, Texas, with the U.S. Army learning how to be an entertainment specialist. Some of you have heard more of that story than you want. But one of my jobs was to sell discounted tickets for military personnel to local events in the El Paso area. And one of the uh, perks of the job was I got to go to them free. I'd get a complimentary ticket. So I got to see quite a few shows. One was uh, Harlem Globetrotters came to town, and I'd seen them as a kid and even in high school, but it had been a while since I saw their combination, if you've seen them, of basketball skills and some fun humor, and it was a great event. But I remember the halftime more than anything else. Because at the halftime, the first thing I noticed was uh, classical music being played and the lights went down. And there was a spotlight center court and into that spotlight drifted a ballerina in full tutu attire. And my first impression was a mixture of, wow, she's, she's good, but why here with this crowd? I could tell others around me were uncomfortable, and it got worse. Because before long, a male dancer kind of drifted into that spotlight and started to circle her and approach her. And she went into one of those ballerinas, some of you may know the technical term, um, kind of a blind fall, and he wasn't there. She hit the ground, and everyone gasped in the whole place. We were all kind of embarrassed for them. They picked themselves up, recovered quite professionally, and went on to gradually reveal to all of us that that was their intent, much like the Harlem Globetrotters. They were skilled dancers, but they were there to make us laugh. And yet, it was tense at first. I think when Jesus entered Jerusalem, there was some of that same dynamic. There was, as the text says quite clearly at the end, throughout the whole city was turmoil. And everyone was asking, who is this? What's, what's going on? Who is this Jesus? And I would like to suggest this morning through our conversation here is that this question, who is Jesus, is one of the most important questions we can ask. It's a question that begs from each one of us an answer that really is a, an eternally determining answer. So let's think seriously about who is this, and maybe let some of the tension of that question, the turmoil of that question, reside for a while. We learn well with, with tension. Did you notice the first answer to the question, who is this, comes in verse 11. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Nazareth in Galilee, if you know anything about it, was not a real impressive town at the time. We think of it as a wonderful place. It's where Jesus grew up. But back then, it was considered quite backward, distant from Jerusalem, and very much influenced by Gentile peoples in that area. So look down on Galilee had that same impression. Some of you know that Nathaniel in John's Gospel asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
And Philip replies, come and see. So apparently there are some exceptions to the, the general rule. But still, to say that Jesus was from Nazareth in Galilee was nothing too impressive. Even the name Jesus probably didn't excite people at all. It was a very common name at the beginning of the first century. A lot of young Jewish boys were given this name that means God saves. And they would have borne that name proudly. It was only later that it became a name that the Jews despised and the Christians considered too holy to name their children. So at one point, Jesus is known later on as the Savior and his followers as Nazarenes. But at this point, to say Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee was not stirring up much excitement at all. However, the words the prophet probably did get some people excited. To call him the prophet would bring up this long Jewish history of these spokespeople for God, people who were sent from God with a message for, for God's people, and they were highly respected prophets. Some of them true. There, there are some false prophets. Men, women, both. Some who speak only, some who spoke and, and wrote. And we have their writings in Scripture. Some who, when they spoke, spoke not just of the future, but spoke of present realities and even building upon Israel's past and their law. Many of them spoke God's word even to people in authority, religious authorities and political authorities, sometimes to encourage them, often to get in their face and to challenge them. And this put their own lives at risk. So many of the prophets suffered, and some of them died on the job for delivering God's message. So this, this was a, a high order of God's people, and to be the prophet was to say even more than just he's one of the prophets to say the prophet may have for some of these people triggered the prophecy of Moses who in Deuteronomy 18 said the Lord your God is going to raise up from among you a prophet just like me who you better listen to and Moses was clear about that prophecy as if to say there's not just going to be a line of prophets there's going to be one particular prophet that you better listen to. And if that's what the people are saying, then all of a sudden we have someone to reckon with. If Jesus is the prophet, then we better listen. Another thing that prophets did was they often did more than just speak. They acted. I'm not going to act, so relax. Um, but they would act out their message. They had a way of, of communicating more clearly through certain behaviors that would stir questions. I believe in many ways that's what the prophet Jesus is doing in this text. He is doing a dramatic play to help people see who he is. Do you notice he's setting the stage? He told two disciples to go and get a donkey and a colt. Uh, they're part of the play. Let's set this up. It's very deliberate. It's dramatic. He has them go and get these animals because that's the script he's following from the prophet Zechariah. 
That's the way it's supposed to happen. He could have said, I am your king. But instead, what he's doing is he's acting it out. Let's see if you, if you get it, if you're getting the message. Because David rode in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem on a donkey. King Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. King Jehu, when he came into Jerusalem, people laid out their cloaks in front of him like a red carpet. And so the attentive people would have seen, there's something going on here. To come in on a donkey is to say, I'm, I'm a certain kind of king. I'm not the king with all the pomp and victory of a, of a Roman leader on a stallion, but I'm more of a humble king, but I'm a king. And the people started to get into their part. They laid the cloaks out like they had for King Jehu centuries before. And they picked up their script from Psalm 118, and they knew that they were to say Hosanna, to shout it. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Friends, we have a a drama that gathers the whole audience into it. They become part of the drama, and, and we're to see that this prophet, this prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee, is presenting himself not just as another prophet, but as the prophet, as your king, the long-awaited king of Israel. He's presenting himself in this line of Davidic kings, as the one we've all been waiting for for centuries, the Messiah, the King. That's what Jesus is saying by his actions, more than his words. He's living it out for them. And if he is that King, then we'd better submit to him. I also think there's more going on here. I think if you read the whole story of Jesus, you'll start to see that he's presenting himself not just as the prophet and the king of Israel, long awaited, but he presents himself as, as God himself, the word, in a sense, the ultimate prophet, who doesn't just bring a word from the Lord, but is actually the Lord God himself who's living out that word. He is the living word in our lives, and he's looking for us to respond. He's looking for us to bring him worship as we do the creator God. And so we have in this Jesus who's presenting himself here a real dilemma, and you can see why the whole Jerusalem is in an uproar and in a turmoil because the religious leaders are not accepting this radical from the north as a prophet, let alone Messiah. And the Roman leadership right from the beginning does not want uh, a competitive king of the Jews in our midst. So they were trying to tamp this down and, and get rid of this person in some way. And so we have a tension that the, the whole city starts to feel. Something's brewing. We're in turmoil. The whole city, personally, corporately, something's got to happen. I'd like to suggest that this turmoil was exactly what Jesus wanted. Through his whole ministry, he had kept a lid on his identity. Have you noticed that in reading the Gospels? 
he says, don't tell anybody. You've, in a sense, you've got it right, but let's keep a lid on this. Why? Because he needed to complete his mission. He needed to leave behind teachings and, and miracles and disciples who were trained, and his whole mission needed to be carried out before he was killed. We've got to keep a lid on this. But friends, we see, I believe, in this Palm Sunday event, much more of the lid coming off. This is it. Now's the time. We're going public. It's very clear. It's dramatic. And it's going to cause an uproar. It was intentional. He knew what was going on and where it was leading. And he wants each one of us to answer the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this? I'd like to suggest that our own lives, our own hearts and minds are going to be in turmoil until we get an answer to this question. You might put it off, put it on a back burner, distract yourself with the things of life. We've got to live and take care of things. But until we answer clearly, at least accurately, if not completely, at least accurately answer the question, who is this? There's going to be turmoil. I'd like to also suggest that the Gospels are written to help us work through that. Matthew's Gospel starts by actually labeling Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of David. He lets us know right out the gate what he's concluded. But then he has John the Baptist, who's in prison, hears of Jesus' ministry, and sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come? We're trying to figure out who you really are. At one point, you, you might remember a critical point in Jesus' ministry. He turns to his disciples and says, who do the people say that I am? And after some discussion, he then says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And then the gospel concludes at the cross with the centurion and some of the other people at the crucifixion, they all say, truly, this was God's son. The Gospels have this, this theme of how are we going to answer this question, who is this? And each Gospel gives us a little different look into that. But the Gospels want to present this question. We keep coming back to it. Who is this Jesus? Who is this? And as I mentioned at the beginning, I repeat now that your answering that question has eternal consequences. So think it through carefully. Pray it through carefully. Work it through. I'd suggest you don't put it on the back burner for long, but that you bring it out, take a look at it. This is a good week to take a good look at it, to ask yourself, what have, what have I concluded? If Jesus were to ask me, who do you say that I am? Who do I say he is? Have I worked that through? And to don't just flip a coin to decide or listen to me or to somebody else and take their answer. You've got to come to your own answer. What about you? Not everybody else. What about you? Who do you say Jesus is? And I would recommend that you look at the Gospels. Now, that's four big books, so maybe I can just pare it down. 
why don't you start with Matthew 21, read a chapter a day through this week, and by next Sunday you'll be in the resurrection chapter, Matthew 28, and just spend some time through these rich portions of this one gospel and look at Jesus, look at his life. Not just at what he says and does, but look at his life, his character. What kind of a person are we looking at? Yes, listen to his teaching. Look at his ability to do miracles and to realize what people are thinking. Pay attention to his death and his resurrection. Pay attention to his claims, who he, who he claims he is. That's an important window into this question. Most importantly, I would say, be open to what you see in, in these texts. Be open to say, maybe even pray, God, would you lead me to truth about who this person is? And be willing to follow that truth wherever it may lead. Because it leads to a response. Each one of us needs to respond. And if you're still in turmoil this morning, sorting it out, I'd recommend you go back to the Gospels and know this, that it takes some time. Much like that crowd at halftime at a Globetrotter event, it doesn't, it doesn't come together real quickly. There's some tension, some turmoil for a while until you resolve it. Who, who is this person? Who is this Jesus who comes from Nazareth in Galilee? Is he... The prophet, the prophet? Is he my king? Is he God himself? Then I better listen to him. I better submit to him. I better worship him. I'm going to give you some quiet minutes now to just reflect for yourself. Maybe you want to even write it down. Who is Jesus to me? Who, who do I say that he is? And while music plays quietly here just for a moment, uh, reflect on that, and then I'll close that time in prayer. that you will come in to our lives and that you will stir them up and allow us to come face to face with who you are. And I pray that you will reveal yourself to each one of us, lead us into that truth. I pray in your powerful name.
I'd invite you to stand to sing our closing hymn that Ruth's been playing.